0: I, I got to admit to you, there are times when I, I just hate ending a song uh, and I, I love when we just stop in the presence of the Lord and tell him nothing else matters but you. It was almost a, a little jolt to have sung that song of worship and talk about the joy that we have. And then we have a video that shows anxiety and depression and loneliness. And oh, it's almost more than our hearts can handle. But I think I think the Lord wants to tell us something today. Today we're going to be talking specifically about fear and anxiety and he wants to remind us he has joy for us and oftentimes we live in so much less. So I hope you'll get your heart ready to hear what the Lord has to say to you specifically about areas, especially those of you who have been struggling with fear and anxiety during the season that we're living in right now. But before I get there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been terrified before? I'm talking like bodies paralyzed, don't know how to respond, kind of terrified. I remember probably the scariest moment of my life. And I remember it like it happened yesterday. I was actually a freshman at Baylor University it was a number of years ago. And uh, in this particular story, I've told bits and pieces of the story before. So if it sounds familiar, that's why, if you've been around for a while. But, but it was such a crazy moment that happened to me. We, we had gone on an outing. I was a part of First Woodway there and a little outside of Waco and we were taking a college trip. There were about 25 to 30 college students, and there was a, a guy in the church who owned some property out toward McGregor. It was about, about 45 minutes away, and he had some land, and there were some hiking trails, and we were going there to do some hiking, some skeet shooting, and it's gonna be just a little outing in kind of late October, beautiful time, and we were gonna go out there and just have some fun as college students. So I'm so cool. You know, I invited two girls to go with me because I think I'm a Mac Daddy and all, but I, I bring these girls with me. We, we ride the church van out there to this property, And we're having some fun, shooting some skeet, and and we go for a hike, uh, the three of us. And, And while we're out hiking, to make a really long story short, basically, the college pastor thought that we had gotten a ride home with somebody else. And so he, with the van and all the other cars, leave. And when we come back from our hike, there is no one there. They have completely left us, me and these two girls that I invited to go with me to this college outing. And it's, it's getting late. Like I told you, it's late October, starting to get cool. We are 45 minutes away from Baylor campus. We have no clue how we got there. This was pre-cell phone. So we are up a creek, don't know what to do. And it was, it was a frightening moment, but that, that definitely wasn't the most frightening part of that, that day. So we decided, well, somehow we've got to get back. We can't just wait here. So we start walking in the general direction of Waco. We have no clue how to get there, but we should just start walking down the road and we, we figure we'll run into a car or see a house or something, call somebody to come get us. We walked for about an hour straight. And now during this hour, it's really starting to get dark and we didn't see a single car. We saw one house, but there were no lights on in it. We walked up to the door, knocked on windows and doors. And no one was home, so we kept on walking. By this point, now it's almost pitch black. Walked about another 15 minutes until finally we see off on the left, we're shivering now, it's getting cold, and we see this, this light on in a house, probably about a quarter of a mile off the road. And we know the only way to get there is we're gonna have to trespass and walk on this, this person's property, but we know we're desperate and we see a light, so somebody must be there. So we walk down this little trail, driveway to get to this house. And as we're walking up, we realize it's a mobile home that looks like it's from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The sucker looked terrible. It looked so scary. And and I'm the guy, so I'm the one who's going to have to walk up to this door and knock on it. I'm scared to death to do it. But that wasn't the scariest part of that night. The scariest part is what happened next. So I, I walk up and I knock on the door and I take a step back and I hear some rustling inside. I'm like, okay, great, somebody's there. And then the door flings open, and this shotgun literally is like in my face. This 12-gauge shotgun about five inches from my face, and this really crazy-looking country bumpkin says, what the bleepity bleep bleep are you doing here? That was the scariest moment of my life. I I remember sitting there and just The way my body responded to it, my physiological response to that shotgun, that 12 gauge five inches from my face was overwhelming. It was the craziest sensation. It was like I lost complete control. Let's just say uh, those underwear had to be retired after that moment because they were irreparably damaged. I mean, it was was crazy. My body, I, I I couldn't think, It was this fog. My mind was swimming. My heart rate went through the roof. I could barely breathe. I I tried to talk to say something. I was like Like My my mouth wouldn't work, nothing would work. I, I was like losing control. I felt paralyzed in that moment. And I felt this profound physiological response to that fearful moment. Has anything like that ever happened to you before? Okay, obviously I didn't die. The dude didn't shoot me. Actually, it ended up being pretty crazy. Uh, After I finally was able to get out, what we were doing there, we got left by our college group, and I brought these two girls. We're trying to get back. He laughed, and then he was so kind, he drove us 45 minutes back to Waco and took care of us. The the story ended well, but I can never forget the way it felt when that 12-gauge was five inches from my face, and I thought I was going to die. I mean, it just profoundly and physically affected me. You know, I think it's interesting to consider the way fear affects the body. But there's not a single one of you who would look down on me for being afraid in that moment. I mean, yeah, okay, we try to be manly, try to act like we're together, but it doesn't matter who we are. If there's a a gun, a 12 gauge, five inches from our nose, it's okay to feel afraid. It's okay to have that physiological response. Fear, by the way, is not always bad. Fear is something that God put in us for a reason. There's a purpose to it. Fear keeps us from doing really dumb stuff, like walking off a cliff, or like walking out into the traffic of a highway or something. Fear says, don't do that, it's gonna hurt. God gave us that to help us. The problem with fear is when it starts to move to a place where it is no longer reasonable. In other words, when you start having fear of things that aren't real, or you start having fear in a way that does not fit the situation you're in. You feel more afraid than you ought to in any given situation. That's when fear can become destructive. When you start having this physiological response to something that doesn't warrant that kind of response. And when that fear begins to be persistent, it turns into anxiety. If you wanna know what the difference between fear and anxiety is, anxiety is just a persistent state of being afraid. And there are a lot of causes for anxiety. Those of you who suffer from anxiety, you need to know this. There's books. In fact, there are many of you who've allowed me to look at some of your counseling materials. I appreciate that for those of you who've offered me some books that you've had. I was looking over some of these psychological reasons for anxiety, and they gave four major ones. One of them, probably the chief one, is trauma. If you've been through something traumatic that left a scar on you, it's oftentimes going back to that that trauma that creates anxiety over and over and over again. Sometimes it's just not being well in, in in a healthy physical state. It could be insomnia, it could be sickness, it could be exhaustion, but these types of things can lead us to a place where anxiety creeps up. Interesting, sometimes it comes just from being around other anxious people. Anxiety can spread. If you have anxious parents, usually the children have a degree of anxiety in them. that has to be unlearned to overcome it. But the fourth, and and probably one of the most common forms, is because of, of uncomfortable or undesirable external circumstances. Things like, say, a global pandemic. That can create anxiety inside of people. And man, let me tell you, it is doing a superb job of lifting up anxiety right now among the U.S. population. So I was looking at some statistics, just crazy statistics that are done by the the U.S. Census Bureau. Now, most of you know the U.S. Census. They do what are called demographic studies of the country and looking at ethnicity and and things like that and age and all that. That's demographic information. But you may not know they also do what's called psychographic information. They look at psychographic stats. In other words, the the way people think. And so what they do is they they poll tens of thousands of people in what's called a home pulse survey. They send the survey out and they ask certain questions about the thinking of people. And one of the questions they ask is about anxiety. Now back in 2019 when they did that survey, they found that about 6.7% of all U.S. adults, 18 and up, expressed moderate to severe anxiety. So a little under 7% were moderate to severe anxiety as they self-reported. In 2020, late 2020, so just just a year later, that number went up from 6.7% up to 37.3%. That's a 500% increase in just one year. That's a colossal, unheard of increase in anxiety. It's actually even worse among young adults. In young adults, it goes all the way up to 43.5% of young adults expressed moderate to severe anxiety. It is no understatement to say that there are millions and millions of people because of the pandemic that are suffering from anxiety and some of them a debilitating, overwhelming anxiety. But I'll bet there are many of you, you already know that because there are many of you watching this that suffer from anxiety. Maybe one of the reasons why you don't gather together with the church is because you are afraid of what's going to take place. Some of you have a, a, a good reason to be afraid. Some of you just have anxiety that's built up so much that you're so scared to be around other people. It's anxiety and it's controlling. Some of you have completely different reasons to have anxiety and you're asking yourself, what in the world can be done? Do I have any hope or am I going to live the rest of my life with this constant plague of fear and anxiety? So those of you asking, do you have hope? I'm here to tell you some great news. If you have anything in Jesus Christ, you have hope. God doesn't want you to live in a persistent and unnecessary state of fear and anxiety. And in fact, today, God is gonna allow us to look in His Word and see as He teaches us how to fight, how to war on behalf of our minds when fear and anxiety wants to well up. We're gonna begin that journey in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first Gospel in the New Testament. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to find verse 25 and we're gonna read a passage in a moment, but while you're finding Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, let me go ahead and make a warning that I committed to last week to make every single time. I wanna be really clear about what I'm gonna try to do and what I'm not gonna try to do. I am not gonna pretend to be a counselor because I'm not, I'm a pastor. I wasn't trained in counseling or psychology or psychiatry. Like I told you last week, I was trained in theology, and I'm gonna stay in my lane. But I do believe God's word speaks to the psychology of fear and anxiety and what can be done about it. But I'm going to give you some very practical steps. By the time we end, I'm going to talk about ways that you can journal through fear and anxiety that wells up inside of you. And it's going to be excellent for many of you. But there are some of you try as hard as you might to change the way that you think to combat the lies of the enemy. It still won't be enough for you to overcome the anxiety inside of you and the reason may be it's born from something more than just false thinking. Like I mentioned before, it could, it could be born from trauma, and until you deal with that trauma, until you have some help to guide yourself through that, you're gonna keep going back to the exact same anxiety problems. It won't be solved just by trying to put a few little key practices up in your life. Some of you, it's caused by neurological issues, and you may need to see somebody who can help you work through these neurological issues and maybe have medication that can help level the playing field because you can't get your brain to think right. And here's what I wanna tell you. It is not a failure, it is not a shortage of faith for you to seek professional help. If you need that, I want you to see a Christian counselor. There are licensed counselors, Christian psychologists and psychiatrists who can help you with this. It is not a failure of faith. There is no shame in seeking help. Please, if you're at a place where your anxiety levels are dangerous, where you're at a place where you can't seem to control it, seek the help that you need. I'll tell you later, but we wanna help you find the right kinds of people. I wanted to put that warning out there before I got into what I'm going to say. But for many of us, all of us would benefit from learning how the enemy tries to plant lies in our heads in ways that we can combat it because Jesus himself is going to give us some tools on how to combat this. And what we're going to see from the very beginning is that Jesus does not, wanting, does not want us to walk in unnecessary anxiety. very first thing he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Read it with me. Here's what it says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I'm going to stop a little early in that verse, but he says it point blank, you don't have to be anxious. Don't over, overly concerned about your life. He didn't want you to live in a persistent state of fear of things that you don't need to be afraid of. Now, I know when you hear that, there's some of you go, Holy cow, Jesus. I mean, like I, now you're making me feel guilty because of my anxiety. You want to sit down with Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, I love you, brother. But listen, man, I'm not choosing to be, I don't want to be anxious. If I could just flip a switch and not be anxious, I'd do it. But you telling me not to be anxious doesn't help me not be anxious. It just makes me more anxious, and now I feel guilty like I'm not a good Christian. But and it's not even just Jesus who does this to us, though so the Apostle Paul heaps on more guilt, it feels like, as you move over. So keep your place in Matthew 6. But look look what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We're gonna come back to this later. But it says, do not be anxious about anything. Holy cow, Paul, don't be anxious about anything. So I don't get to be anxious about COVID, about my family getting it, about a person in the hospital. I don't get to be anxious about losing my job or not knowing where where we're going to be in the future. I don't get to be anxious about anything. I mean, we're living in crazy times and it, it feels a little bit unfair to be told, don't be anxious. And even if it wasn't COVID, I mean, there are people who are afraid of failure, afraid of rejection, afraid of all these other things. And like, just telling me not to be afraid doesn't help me. And this is really where Satan can, can have a, a playground in your mind because he can begin to tell you that you should be ashamed of yourself. You shouldn't be anxious. You shouldn't be afraid. How pathetic you are. If you remember last week and if you didn't hear last week, I strongly encourage you go back and listen to last week's message because the chief lies that Satan uses are three big ones that you are helpless, you are worthless and you are unlovable. And he tries to come up with these same lies and then plant them in our heads. And this is one of the ways where he says, look at how helpless you are. You can't even overcome. Look how worthless you are. God must not love you because you're so pathetic. You can't even keep from being anxious and he wants to condemn us. But here's what I want you to hear clearly. If you struggle with fear and anxiety, that does not mean you are not a Christian, it doesn't mean you're not a person of faith, it doesn't mean that you're a failure. Fear, by definition, is an automatic physiological response to some type of real or perceived danger. And because it's an automatic physiological response, it's not like you're desiring to be afraid, it just kicks on in you. You gotta recognize that because when Satan wants to condemn you, you go, no, 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 I'm not choosing this right now. But because it's automatic, the only way to get at it is to come back to the source of the fear. And usually, oftentimes, that fear comes from the way that we think. There are some falsehoods that we begin to believe in. And so what we have to do is what I taught you last week. Every time there's a false belief, a lie that Satan wants to bring, we have to take the false thing captive, and then we have to replace it with something true. Take it captive, replace it. Take it captive, replace it. This is the means by which we war our minds against Satan who's coming after us. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us to do in this passage. He's not telling us don't be anxious because he wants to make us feel ashamed. He's gonna tell us this because he's gonna show us how we take the thought captive. Now, we do that as we go through the passage. Let's go back to it. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Listen to what it says here. Jesus says, "'Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, "'what you will eat or what you will drink, "'nor about your body what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things, they'll be added to you. So what he's doing here is he's showing us the pattern of thought and how it works, and how we take the thought captive. He begins in the very beginning by showing us that we have to recognize the danger of our minds spiraling out of control by defining what it is that's coming against us. You you see from the very beginning, he zeroes in on a bunch of what-if questions. What-if questions? That is the playground of an anxious mind. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And our minds start to spiral into all these scenarios that could take place. That's exactly what goes on in the passage drills down and says, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? He's dealing with the fact that there are people are concerned about daily necessities. I mean, what if I don't have food? <coughs> what if I don't have drink? What if I don't have clothes to wear? What if this goes wrong, then what's gonna happen? What he's trying to do is combat the fact that there's a dangerous spiral that takes place in our minds. And it's so much bigger than just basic necessities. There are many of you watching this. What if I get COVID? What if I get fired? What if someone I love goes to the hospital? What if this thing gets worse? What if the Delta variant takes over everything? What what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if I'm walking, a piano falls on me? What if I go on an airplane and it it crashes? What if, what if, what if? And we create all these scenarios in our heads and what we don't realize is the damage those scenarios are doing. Remember what I told you before, fear, it it is an automatic physiological response of a, a real or perceived danger. Now here's what's crazy. Every single time that we begin to to create these what if scenarios, fear builds in us and we have an automatic physiological response. So our heart rate will increase. Stress will come upon us. We'll have fogginess of thinking. We'll have a a complete physiological response that damages us. But the, the worst part about it is we're having this automatic physiological response for something that's not actually happening. It's only happening in our head because we're worrying about all these things that could take place. I I read this really intriguing study. I was was fascinated by it. And it said that 97% of the things that we worry about never actually happen the way that we worry about them happening. It it said that 85% of what we worry about doesn't happen at all. And about 12% of it happens to a much lesser degree than we were actually worried about. Only about 3% of what we worry about actually takes place. But the most damaging part is that when we worry, 100% of it creates a damaging, harmful physiological response that plays a toll on, pays a toll on our body that we don't need to have. But when we let our minds go to this, what if, what if, what if, what if, Satan is getting us to a place where we're so anxious, we're overwhelmed and we're exhausted and we can't think straight. He's toying with our minds. And what he's trying to do here is Jesus is trying to give us a way to take that anxious thought captive. Now I've been reading a really cool, actually I finished a book not too long ago. Uh, last week I told you about one written by Craig Groeschel called Winning the War in Your Mind. It's kind of like the man's version of, of mental health, but there's a, a, a woman's version of it that I read by a lady named Jen, Jenny Allen. She's the one who started the IF gatherings and it's called Get Out of Your Head. Great perspective on it as well. And there's one part where she really helps this idea of taking the thought captive. I I kind of adjusted some questions that we can ask based on her book, but there there are three things that you can ask yourself every single time you feel fear and anxiety welling up inside of you to take that thought captive, to make sure that you're not letting 97% of something that'll never happen control you. So here's the first question you need to ask yourself when you feel fear and anxiety well up inside of you. You need to ask yourself, what is causing the fear? You identify what it is that's genuinely causing that physiological response, that stress, that concern, that overwhelmed feeling. What what is it? Again, you see this in the passage. It was specifically necessities being met. It was food, it was drink, it was clothing. Identifying where is the fear coming from. So what is causing the fear? Then the second question you want to ask yourself is, what does God say about that? Because God's word speaks to a lot of these issues in our lives. So what is God's word and what does God himself have to say about it? That's what he does in the passage of Scripture. He says, guys, look at the, look at the birds of the heavens. Look at the lilies of the field. God takes care of all those things. And if God takes care of them and you are of up so much more value, why are you worried? Don't you realize God will take care of you? So God says, you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to handle your necessities. And then the third question, once you've asked those first two, is simply this. Should I really be afraid? If I've located the cause of the fear and I now know what God's word says about it, third question is, should I really be afraid? And I'll bet you 97% or more of the time you're going to go, no, I shouldn't really be afraid. That's what he says here. You don't have to be afraid. Don't worry. The Gentiles worry about those things, but not you, because you have a God who loves you, who will take care of you. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and that God who loves you will take care of everything else. You don't have to be afraid. What Jesus is giving here is the mechanism by which we take the anxious thought captive. Such a powerful tool for us. I pray you'll begin to use it. But remember what I said last week. It's a very dangerous thing if all you do is step one in the two-part process, you take the thought captive, but you don't replace it. If you just take it captive, then that leaves your mind open for Satan to bring a whole bunch of other new lies into your mind. So you take the anxious thought captive and then you replace it with something true. And what you're going to discover from the word of God is there is something that can replace the anxious thought. It's something called peace, the peace of God. In fact, if you flip over, to Philippians chapter four. I want you to do that now, if you will. Philippians chapter four. We're gonna read verses six and seven, and you're gonna see in here that he very explicitly, the apostle Paul tells us that we're supposed to take the fear captive, cast it aside, and we're supposed to let the peace of God wash over us. And that's what's gonna keep us protected from future lies coming from the enemy. Listen to what it says. Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse six. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And hear this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what a beautiful promise. So when you're feeling afraid, when you're feeling anxious, you don't have to be anxious. He says, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. This peace that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I was talking this over with the teaching pastors that are going to be teaching this Sunday. One of them mentioned that that the reminder that the apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he was in a jail in Rome, and he was guarded by a Roman soldier with all its array, its battle array on, that was standing guard, keeping Paul prisoner. But Paul knew what a guard meant. So when he talks about how this peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds, our emotions and our thoughts, it's saying that every time Satan wants to come against us and implant a new lie, tell us that we're doing something wrong, shame us that the peace of God stands like a sentinel in front of our hearts and our minds to protect us against Satan coming against us. That's what the peace of God does for us. It's such a powerful tool. But but what I love about the peace of God. Not not the peace of the world, not peace that's arrived by some kind of like Eastern meditation or something, but the peace that comes from God is it's a peace that is supernatural. It is a peace that Jesus himself gives us. So, So save your spot right here in Philippians 4, 6. I'm going to come back to it, but I want to read in John chapter 14, verse 27. I want you to hear what Jesus has to say about the peace that he gives. Verse 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, You don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. Don't worry. I'm giving you my peace. Now, when Jesus says that, he would be speaking in Aramaic. He would have said, Shalom. I'm giving you my shalom, the peace of God, wholeness, completeness. I'm going to take care of everything, he's saying. That's why it's a peace in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 that says that surpasses all understanding. Because it comes from God, it is not born from our circumstances. So often we think we'll only be at peace when all of our circumstances work out, but that's an understandable peace. This is a peace that surpasses understanding. When you shouldn't have peace, you still have it. Why? Because Jesus gives that peace. And that peace is based not on your circumstances, it's based on the very character of Jesus Christ himself. This is why Romans 8.28 is so important. That peace is based on the fact that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That that peace comes from the fact of knowing that our God is infinite in power and our God is holy and good and he is the one fighting for us. And we know ultimately everything will work out okay. Because we know that, no matter what we're going through, we don't have to be ruled by fear and anxiety, we can be ruled by peace. We know it's gonna be okay. Now I was shown this in a unique way uh, this past summer. I was reminded of it by a, a game of hide and seek I played. So I, I've shared before my family, we, we love to play hide and seek. And, and it's super fun. Our home has got a lot of nook and crannies in the home. And, and so this past summer, my, my wife's uh, brother was in town with his family and husband and wife and their three teenage kids. And we played an epic game of hide and seek in our home during this past June when they were over. And the way it worked is the four adults we're counting for a couple of minutes, and all the kids—there's nine of them our six and they're three. They went and, and hid. Now, my my brother-in-law's kids—they're all teenagers, and they're all like six foot nine and ten. They're huge, so they're not real good at hiding when they play hide and seek. And, and my little daughter Jovi—she's not she's not good either because every time you walk by, she starts laughing. <laughs> so you know where she's at. But my daughter Maddie—that girl is really good at playing hide and seek. In fact, this particular time when she when she hid, she was a champion. She was, she was gone for 10 minutes. We couldn't find that girl. And we, our home isn't that big. You know, we were all over the place calling her name. Maddie, where are you in here? We're checking every single closet, every single room, under beds, everything. We cannot find Maddie. But we love it because we know she has just found a stellar hiding place. We're not the least bit worried because we have one rule. Our one rule is you can't leave the house. You can't go out the front, you can't go out the back, you, you can't go into the garage, you can't go up into the attic, you can't go into the balcony. You have to stay inside the house. So we know she's somewhere inside the house. We know it's gonna turn out okay, we're gonna find her. And finally, after 10 minutes of looking, we have a big closet upstairs, I open the door, and I see just a little bit of movement, and I open up a tub, and there's my daughter, like just sweating to pieces, because she's been hiding in this tub for 10 minutes. She was relieved she was found, but I gave her a big old high five going, way to go, girl. That was the best hiding spot I'd seen. Totally unconcerned that we couldn't find her because we knew it was all gonna be okay. But this same daughter of mine, about eight, nine years before that, she was, she was about five, five or six years old at the time. We had a very different experience with her. So she had a little argument with her, like an argument like a five or six year old can have with her parents and, and we told her Maddie, you, you need to go to your room. You need to cool down right now. We'll talk to you in a moment. So she stormed off and you know, we knew she was just going to her room to, to cool off for a bit. So we waited 10, 15 minutes. And then we went over to her room to go sit and talk with her and talk through what had happened. And we walked into her room and she wasn't in her room. So we started calling her, Maddie, where are you? And she wasn't responding. So, so then we start walking around the house looking for me. She's only five or six, she's gotta be somewhere. Maddie, where are we? We look in each room and she's not anywhere to be found. We're calling her name, she's not responding. We get the other kids to start looking for her as well, but we're starting to get anxious now. And as I'm walking through the living room, I look over to the side and I notice that the front door is ajar. And we have a screen door that's closed, but the front door is open. And I ask Virginia, did you open the front door? She goes, I don't know, did, did you? I don't remember doing that. And so now I'm panicked. Now, I, my daughter, she, she might have just walked out the front. And we live right on a busy street real close to Green Oaks. And I'm going, holy cow, what, what if she walked up to Green Oaks and she's trying to cross the street? She's five. She's not going to make it. Or what if she's walking by and somebody comes up, drives up, and, and abducts her and takes her off. And I'm just freaking out now. And I'm in my front yard screaming, Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. Because I don't know what's going on with my little girl. And my wife and I, we are, we are getting ready to dial 911. We are scared to death that something's happened to her. And I just have, I, I believe it was just the Holy Spirit prompted me, I just have this, this intuition. I need to go back and run to my back bedroom. And I go back over there and I look in my closet. I'd already checked there one last time. And right when I'm about to turn, I notice this little foot sticking out underneath the the clothes on the side. And I walked up and I pulled the clothes back and there was my little five-year-old daughter dead asleep back there. She had just gone there and... And then she was just hiding for a bit because she was angry and just went to sleep and she didn't hear us calling her. And I went, to know, man, I picked my little girl up and I hugged her so hard. I was so scared for her. And I had this thought this past summer, isn't it crazy? We'd only spent maybe five or six minutes that day looking for my daughter when she was five, but because we didn't know if it was going to turn out okay or not, we were scared to death. Our heart rates were up, we were stressed, we were overwhelmed, we were afraid because we didn't know if it was gonna turn out good. And here we have a 10 minute search for my daughter, but because we know she's in the house, because we know it's gonna turn out, we're not afraid. We're filled with joy because we know we're gonna find her. See, that's the difference. When you know it's gonna turn out okay, even when things don't look great, you're not afraid. You're just waiting to see what your daddy's gonna do. But when you don't know how things are gonna turn out, that's when fear creeps in. That's why it's so important that we let the peace of God sweep over us, because we know we have a God who is infinite in power and a God who is good, who causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that greater is he who is in us than greater than he who's in the world. We know that our God has already won and everybody who's with him gets to win with him. We know our God is in control and he can handle any situation. And because we know all of this, We don't have to be ruled by fear. Instead, what we can do is we can just let our request be made known to God. We can pray. I wanna wanna say something, and I, I actually debated saying this. I was talking to my wife this morning about it, whether I should say this or not, because I know it could be fairly dangerous and misunderstood, but I feel like I need to say it. I feel like for the vast majority of us, and I know I fall into this bracket, that when our anxiety level is high, typically it's because our prayer level is low. And when our prayer level is high, typically our anxiety level is low. Now the reason I wanna be really cautious is because you can hear me make an accusation I don't intend to make. I'm not saying that if you have fear or anxiety, that definitively means you're not a person of prayer, okay? Please don't hear me say that, I'm not saying that. What I said before is true, there are other things that trigger anxiety and fear. And I want you to be aware of that. But for the majority of us, you'll tend to find that when your anxiety level is high, it's because your prayer level is low. And the more we pray, specifically in faith, the lower our anxiety level is because it reminds us that our God is in control. And if we'll just make our requests known to him, that's when the peace of God sweeps over us. But there's a real condition to that prayer. The power in that prayer is the faith behind that prayer. We have to believe that our God can move. I think there are a lot of people, maybe too many people, maybe you're one of them, that when you pray, it's like your last resort. You're one of those flare prayer kind of people, like you don't know what else to do, so shoot up that prayer, oh God, do something, I don't know who else to turn to, I've tried this and this and this and those didn't work, so I guess I'll try you too, God. That's not a prayer of faith, and it doesn't have the same caliber of effect upon us. But when you pray, knowing who your God is, infinite in power and that he's good, then it has a beautiful effect on you to calm you and to put it back in his hands. And one of the best ways to build faith, just the the faith building driver and machine and engine inside of us, is this simple thing called gratitude, thankfulness. That's why he says back in verse seven or verse six, he says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What he's saying is that when we spend time thanking God, we pray differently. When we recognize all the good things God has already done, the power that he's shown us, we pray differently. And I want you to know this is true. When I stop and I start thinking through my life and all the things that God has done, I can't help but pray different. When I think back to the time, and I wish I could share this story with you. I hope to share it with you soon again because it's worth telling. But when I, in a one in a million chance to get matched with my son, Max, when he was in China, we believe God was calling us to adopt Max, but it was impossible. literally a a one-in-a-million chance and yet God through faith allowed us to be matched with Max and now he's been in our home for almost 13 years. I remember what God did, how he moved heaven and earth to bring that child into my home and I cannot help but be filled with faith and pray differently. When, When I remember the time when my wife and I took a step of faith and she decided not to go back to teaching so she could stay at home and her paycheck and her health insurance ran out the very day Literally to the day that my paycheck and health insurance here at this church 16 years ago began, when those matched up perfectly, my faith was so built because I saw the good hand of God when we took a step of faith. And I cannot help but pray differently when I remember what God has done. When I think back to the checks that would come in the mail during our adoption processes, I cannot help but be filled with faith. When I think about how my daughter Jovi rejected me for so long and how we prayed for her and how God's love conquered her heart and now she loves me. I cannot help but be overwhelmed with God's goodness. When God rescued my daughter Annalise when she had gotten into some poison and God was so gracious to her, I couldn't help but pray differently after that. When I think about God's gift and my wife and my children and the ministry that he's allowed me to do, every time I'm filled with gratitude, I pray different because I see the power of God and I see the goodness of God. And it allows me to pray with faith. And I believe if you'll do the same thing, you'll pray with faith and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So so here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. I'm gonna make this super practical right now as I land this airplane here. What I wanna encourage you to do is to begin to journal every single time you feel fear and anxiety well up in you. Now, I mentioned journaling. It's not a diary, man, so you can do this. So get yourself a journal and actually take some notes. And there's two parts to this. You gotta take the thought captive and then you gotta replace it with truth. So if you remember, the first thing you're gonna to do to take it captive is you're gonna ask those three questions. What's causing the fear? You're gonna ask, what does God say about it? And then the third thing is, should I really be afraid? And you're gonna journal out those three things. And what you're doing is you're taking the thought captive, that fear, that anxiety-producing thought captive. And then, once you've done that, you're gonna to move to the second part. In that second part, what you're gonna do is you're gonna do two things. First. You're gonna start with a gratitude list. You're gonna start writing out all the ways that God has shown his power to you and his grace to you. You're gonna write them all down. And that, that may take 10, 15, 30 minutes, an hour, but you're building your faith up through that process. And after you've done that, then you're gonna journal out your prayer. You're gonna let your request be made known to God. And in light of all this, God, I ask you to move this way. And if you'll do that every single time, fear and anxiety well up inside of you you're going to find for many of you that a peace of God sweeps over you. It's such a beautiful habit that we can have. So I want to encourage you to do that every time fear and anxiety come up. But before, let me say this, before I release you on that thought, I will say for some of you, you're going to have fear and anxiety that will not be decreased, even though you're trying this out. You're journaling, you're trying to let the peace of God come in, you're trying to take the thought captive, you're trying to replace it, and it's still not enough. And it may be, because your fear and anxiety is coming from somewhere other than just your thinking. Like I mentioned before, it could be because of a trauma that has to be dealt with. It could be because of neurological issues and uh, an imbalance that you need to deal with. And if it is, I still wanna tell you, seek the help that you need. We we wanna serve you. There are licensed counselors that we wanna connect you with. Because when we do this, we know that you're gonna have the tools that you need to in the future be able to handle these situations with journaling and with mentally warring on behalf of your mind against this fear and anxiety. But you you may need a kickstart right now with special help. So please let us, if you wanna know how to be connected, you can actually just text the word prayer to 94253. And in that, there'll be a place where you can let us know if you have a prayer request, or you can also let us know if you need counsel or you wanna to talk to a pastor. And we can, we can meet with you and connect you to the help and the resources that you need. But don't feel like you're a failure because here's what's gonna happen. Satan is gonna to try to tell you, look at you. Look how anxious you are, look how afraid you are. You can't handle this on your own. Man, God must be disappointed in you. And here's where he's gonna come after you. Man, God must not love you at all. And here's what I want you to hear. That is alive from the pit of hell because Jesus loves you. In fact, the whole reason why Satan does not want you to believe that you are loved is because, because he knows that love casts out fear. I, I, I want to end with this last verse for you because I think it's so important. It comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to what it says here. It says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in this is love that he loved us more than we loved him. And then you skip over to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You want to know how you deal with fear? You believe in the love of Jesus Christ for you, that though you are sinful and broken and filled with shame and guilt, He loves you anyway, so much that He was willing to go to the cross and die on the cross to take all your sins upon His shoulders because He loves you and He's willing to save you. And if you'll just receive that love, that love will cast out fear I believe there are some of you watching this, and you need to receive that love. You need to do so so privately and publicly. Privately, the way you receive the love of God, the love of Jesus, is just to confess your sin. I've sinned against you, Lord. I haven't done what's right, forgive me. And Jesus, come take over my life. I receive your love. And you need to tell them that. In fact, you can do so in the next song. But you also need to do so publicly to tell the world that you believe Jesus Christ loves you and you love him back. And the way you do it publicly is through baptism. The reason why I want to talk about that is because we have coming in just a couple of weeks, our baptism celebration. And in this baptism celebration, you have a chance to go into Lake Viridian with, with dozens of other people and express you believe that Christ loves you and you're going to receive that love. And you're going to be, you're going to die and be buried to the old self and raised up into a new life that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're ready to take that step of faith, we want to partner with you. And you can let us know as well. You can just text the word "next step" to 94253. And you can say that you're ready to be baptized or that you want to talk to a pastor about it. And we can get you ready for it. But the key is that you receive the love of God. Because when you receive his love, it casts out fear. And you don't have to be a slave of fear any longer. You can be a child of God. We're going to remember that truth as we take the Lord's Supper in a moment. But first, let's sing that very truth. Let's remind ourselves we're not slaves of fear, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper in a moment.